I'm Richard, and welcome to Acid to Work's podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of April 14, 2014. Join us this week as we drop by City Hall, the most iconic film noir location in Los Angeles, to talk with poet and educator Suzanne Lummis about the poetry noir genre and National Poetry Month. We'll also visit with Ranger Jean Ryan of the California State Park Service to get her personal invitation to view the extraordinary poppy bloom currently happening at the Antelope Valley Poppy Reserve. So stay tuned. Los Angeles. El Pueblo. Lotus Land. The City of Angels. The Day of the Locust. The Slide Area. Where all the fruits and nuts ended up when they turned the country on its ear. But you and I were born here. Don't mind a few oddballs in the mix. They add flavor. Growing up in Cheviot Hills, my compass pointed straight to Fifth and Main. As a kid in Hollywood, I was forbidden to take the bus to the Central Library. But I did it anyway. Because you've got to start at the center to understand this confounding and fantastic city. Which makes nonsense of history and breaks all the rules. Rainer Banham said that. He taught us well. In the 1980s at UC Santa Cruz, now on our tours and in our time travel blogs, we're continuing the conversation. Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles and Charles Bukowski's The Birth of Noir. Route 66, The Lowdown on Downtown. The Real Black Dahlia. Positive public space, endangered landmarks, forgotten lore, memory maps, mysteries, murder, the allocation of resources, the hidden forces that shape public policy, Skid Row, Bunker Hill, preservation, restoration, redevelopment, it's a four-letter word, Los Angeles, you can't eat the sunshine, but you can drive around and take a long, hard look, and listen to the stories, and pass them on. Why are we doing this again? Because we love the place with a passion that goes beyond sense or reason. So did Rainer Banham. So we did. Now let's begin. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long lost neighborhood called Herman between Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of April 14th, 2014. This week, our guests will be Ranger Jean Ryan. She is an interpreter in the Mojave sector of the California State Park System, and she's going to talk to us about the Antelope Valley Poppy Reserve, and it is on fire. Our other guest will be Suzanne Lummis. She is a poet. She is the granddaughter of Charles Fletcher Lummis. She is a mentor, advocate, proponent, writer in the genre of poem noir. So we're going to talk to her about National Poetry Month, April being the cruelest month, and poem noir. So Kim, please remind us about the Pishka. I do need to remind you about the Pishka, Richard. The Pishka is the digital tip jar. 
associated with this podcast. And if you enjoy it, not you, Richard, necessarily, but, but someone out there in podcast land, and, and, and you'd like to contribute a little something to our wanderings, you can throw a little something digitally into the digital tip jar on this podcast page, and that'll help us finance our explorations of Southern California. Always appreciated, never obligatory. Thanks for your support. Okay, Kim, let's do this. Closely watch trains. We have a lot of closely watched trains in our life. Every week we take 10, 15 minutes and share some of them with you, and I hope it's the ones we don't talk about that you're paying closest attention to, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, the ones we're not talking about are the ones I want you to pay particular attention to. Agreed. Good. Okay, so we'll work backwards through this list to keep you on your toes, Kim. Okay. Just um, some call-outs. I, I, did, I saw no evidence late last week, but early last week, on the 7th, uh, construction was supposed to begin on the renovation of the footprint of the old state building at 1st and Broadway South, sorry, uh, Northwest Corner, 1st and Broadway, the old state building footprint. Um, they are supposed to break ground this week. Last week, late last week, we checked. We walked by, didn't see anything. But it, there's it, it is above it's, eye level, though. That's yeah, it, sure. They, I'm sure they're they're working on it. I know, yeah. but just you know, we okay. kind of have to go to the top of City Hall to really get a good bird's eye view of that. Okay. Maybe we will. Okay. So just so that's something to keep an eye on. Literally, that that park. Um, we're gonna we're we're just gonna let all the kerfuffle about Grand Park and Labor Day weekend concerts go and maybe if there's something to talk about next week we will we hope there's nothing to talk about our our next item uh farther down on spring street farther north uh la plaza there's there's this proposal uh the the the, the museum uh in the old brunswick building it's it's run by a nonprofit that the county helps the nonprofit wants to start a mixed-use development at the two parking lots behind them. Basically, it's Spring and Cesar Chavez. So the county is basically putting out a request for proposals for developers for the development of a mixed-use project at these two giant parking lots behind El Pueblo. Now, we're bringing this up because we've mentioned this before. I just want to reiterate, I've been to the official web pages for the project, they're still working on the draft environmental impact report. So we're, we're seeing lots of people talking about what is going to happen, and it's, that's, that's just, these are just ideas. They are just ideas, but there are some renderings floating around, and, and they're actually rather interesting because the, uh, it's, it's two parcels on flat parking lots, and the first one, which is meant to be one of the two paseos that leads from essentially from the west side of Olvera Street out towards Fort Moore, towards the Civic Center. It's a nice two-story, mission-style Spanish compound, which really echoes the architecture of Union Station. And, um, you know, as much as you can tell in these sort of cartoony renderings, kind of handsomely. So might not be the worst thing in the world, although they knew that, I know they were talking about a green belt, as the initial idea, I think maybe they think they have enough green over at Graham Park. The other thing, of course, to bear in mind, if anything happens to those parking lots, is excavation. It's the oldest part of the city. The parking lots that were excavated during the work on the museum turned up a lot of really cool 
artifacts, 19th century artifacts, and uh, I'm sure earlier below that. So whatever happens, let's hope there are archaeologists on staff, on site, and we'll get some goodies out of there and learn a little something about L.A. Kim, I think what you're trying to politely not say, and I will just say, you, 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 you want them to find things, and you, and you, and you want the archaeologist to pull the, the, the sacred, the, the sacred sites card. You, 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 you want them to. No, you don't. I have no idea what you're saying. You're, you're hoping they find some really interesting stuff, and they have to stop construction cold. Oh, you, you mean corpses? No, the corpses are, are a little bit to the east. No, no. Okay. We, we all know. We, 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 okay. It's what we don't talk about that you should be really interested in. So, we'll move on. Keep an eye on that. The draft EIR is not out yet, so everything, I think, is still on the table. Meetings coming up. We'll put the website URL on the podcast page, and you can attend if you want. All right, last item. Kim, this is really sad, and and this is not going to be well presented in the URLs for this podcast, but we'll do the best we can. An original McDonald's at Central in Washington. It's uh, currently home of Tacos El Galavan. Gavion. About three years ago, they tore down the original arches. This is a Stanley Meston McDonald's from the early 50s. Right, so the the, the yellow arches were architectural features, and and there was sort of a a giant U coming out of the ground, upended. they took them down as near as we could tell with, with, with no notice so they'd have more room for outdoor seating and grilling. It was the saddest thing I think I've ever seen while driving down the street screaming, which I started to do as soon as I realized what they'd done. You know, Kim, it's funny. We, 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 get, we live our lives and, and we say, Oh, Kim, I wish I... Wish I... We pass a building and I say, Oh, that's such a nice building. And you say, Oh, I didn't know you thought that. And I think... You know, I wonder when I stop actually articulating verbally what I think to you, and, and when I don't have to do that, when just intuitively, because we're married, we, we have intuitive communication. Because I think if, if I verbally acknowledged all the buildings I thought were beautiful, we'd like, all we do when we were driving is just say, well, I think that building's beautiful, I think that building's beautiful, I think that building's beautiful. I think that's so interesting, and like, we'd never be able to communicate how late we were, or if I was lost trying to get to where we were going, or if my mother called, we'd never be able to answer the phone. We have our shorthand. I, I go, ooh, and you hand me the camera, and you slow down, and you roll the window down. We're, we're good. I know what buildings you like. Okay, well, this building's going to go away, it looks like. Um... Plum had a meeting about it last week. I wasn't able to locate online the motions that were approved that went to Plum that got approved. Um, I didn't see any dissent in any of the, the, the... I didn't see any negative impacts in the write-up for the agenda. So, um, But we're going to remain hopeful, and I'll, I'll get some... some I'll, get, I'll get a copy of the motions passed, and we'll publish it. On the on the podcast URL page, on the URL section for this podcast, we'll put up uh, the the agenda for Plum from last week that that talks about uh, proposing the demolition of the building so they can build a larger uh, drive-through. And I, Kim, that's it. Those are no, our no? no no. It's the state of the city. Oh yeah. yeah okay. So okay. Yeah. Okay, last week. Last last yeah. week. Okay. Last week we went to state of the city. 
about an hour. Okay, we're each we're each allowed to say one thing about State of the City. What's State of the City. State of the City is an address to the citizen to the world because I guess anyone can watch it. You don't have to live in Los Angeles. Eric Garcetti, the mayor, made a speech about the state of the city, uh, basically goals and objectives on how his administration is going to um, really put Los Angeles uh, back on track, not only back on track, but on budget, strong. Uh, I believe the term my grandfather would have used is strong and in right. Just, you know, financial. Okay, so my one comment on uh, the State of the Union is, as Mayor Garcetti uh, early in his address um, said, City Hall does not have all the answers. And I'm just going to reiterate that statement early in his address. City Hall, he acknowledged that City Hall does not have all the answers. Yeah, they're open to people bringing ideas to them. That's cool. Um, one thing that stood out to me just because of our experience studying the history of Skid Row and, and the loss of so much of the low-income housing, the SRO housing um, out east of Main Street, uh, you know, he's been working closely with this um, scientist from from. Caltech, Dr. Lucy, and all this seismology stuff, which is great, but um, he announced at the State of the City that they intend to actually have ratings for every building in the city, sort of like they have restaurant ratings. And when I hear about ratings for buildings, it just makes me shiver because that's how all of those old hotels came down in the early 70s when the CRA sent a mass mailing out to property owners and said, need to talk about retrofitting and the mass response one by one was cheaper and safer to demolish and just deal with a flat space and maybe it's a parking lot or maybe you build a warehouse Um, I really don't want to see the remaining 19th century housing and industrial stock of the city turn into new stuff simply because it's cheaper and easier and safer you know or we live in earthquake country. There's some risk you have to take. I don't. I don't want this to kill historic preservation. So just just something to worry about. I you know, I, I always shudder when I think about things getting torn down just because it's quicker and cheaper. Faith, Kim, we're just we're gonna we're gonna think positive. Okay, that's what I do whenever we go. Oh, I've only I've only allowed one comment, so I'm I'm done, and Faith, you're done. Faith. That's an additional comment. I apologize. I. Took, I took, I trespassed over my limit. Kim, we're done. I'm moving on. Upcoming events, Kim. We have a salon coming up at the end of this month. April, April 27 is the Lava Sunday Salon. Nathan Marsak will be talking about the architecture of death, public mausolea in Southern California. He's very funny. He's very gifted. It's going to be a very good presentation. He'll be on second. The first presentation will be Del Raul, C.C. Perry, Suzanne Lummis, Suzanne B., one of the guests on the podcast this week, they will be presenting on Poem Noir. They will be reading poems in the Poem Noir genre and talking very briefly about Poem Noir, its origins and its motifs and, and objectives and some techniques, and that's the 27th. Super excited. 
Where have I got? A, a noir weekend because that's Sunday and on Saturday we're doing our birth of noir bus tour. So if you're feeling noirish or deathly, come out and play with us. Okay, and Kim, just looking far ahead because it's the next one, oh, we have a July crime lab uh, crash and spatter. That's a bioforensics crime lab. We're going to talk about what well, we're not going to talk. Dr. David Raymond and Professor Donald Johnson are going to talk about all the good work they do with blunt objects and the trauma they cause on bodies, uh, sharp objects and the trauma they cause on bodies. And, you know, it's, it's crime lab. It's crime lab. There may be pig's blood involved. There may be. Professor Johnson always has a few surprises for us. So, we did it. I think we got through most of the prelude. We're going to set up the interviews. I'm going to set up the interviews now. We are going to interview Ranger Gene first, so I will introduce Suzanne first. Talk about Suzanne first, because we'll interview her second. All right, Suzanne Lummis, poet, granddaughter Charles Fletcher Lummis. All around amazing. Love her to pieces, just to death. She's the best. Love her. She's going to talk about National Poetry Month. April is National Poetry Month because April is the cruelest month. She's going to talk about poem noir. She's going to read a passage from Raymond Chandler to illustrate the theme she finds for herself most engaging. By the time we're done with this podcast, we've had three distinct views on poem noir in this podcast to set up this salon, so we're very excited. Second interview, Ranger Jean. Ranger Jean, her official, she, she she's an interpreter. She's an interpreter in the Mojave sector of the California State Park System. We visited her at the Antelope Valley State Poppy Preserve, which is off of Oh, it's off of Avenue I, off of Avenue Four, off of Highway 14 in the western part of Lancaster. It is gorgeous up there. The whole point of our interview with her is when you hear this, get in your car the next day and go see the poppies because you've got about two weeks from the time this podcast is published, which will be soon, as soon as I can splice everything together and go run into my office. You have two weeks. So this is a very time-sensitive interview. She's going to give a little backstory. She's a lover. She was a big part of my birthday party tour up to Antelope Valley last year. Can't say enough good things about her. If you're out there, uh, give a call. Maybe you can catch her. Uh, she covers, oh, her mailing list. We're going to include her email in the URL section on this podcast page. Take her email. Send her an email. Get on her mailing list. She has great activities throughout all the parks. Red Rock, Saddleback Butte. Um, well, Tom, Tom, Red Rock, Saddleback Butte is where a lot of the... Uh, Antelope Valley Indian Museum, another location on my birthday bus last year. Uh, these three parks, they do some really fantastic uh, curation... Curating. Sorry, coordinating. Peggy Ronning's the curator at the Antelope Valley Indian Museum. Ranger Jean is coordinator of events for the that part of the Mojave sector. So with that, let's take it away with my interview with Ranger Jean. Suzanne, I'm here with you. We're in City Hall, arguably the most iconic 
noir location in all of Los Angeles. So introduce yourself and tell us about two things, Poem Noir and National Poetry Month. Okay, well, I uh, teach a class on the Poem Noir. I occasionally write a Poem Noir. And now when I'm saying noir... I'm saying a slightly Americanized version of a French word. I bet the French say noir or something like that. Uh, it, noir is in dark, as in black, a uh, word that first came into our language uh, in reference to film noir, the black and white, low-budget crime stories, uh, movies of the 40s and 50s, uh, movies that uh, dealt with, with the the dark side of the American dream, uh, the, the people who end up murdering somebody for love or for money. Think of double indemnity, uh, kiss of death, touch of evil, uh, gun crazy, all of those titles. They were always the B movies and the Bill, where the A movie was the technicolor movie with the big stars, and first you had to sit through a little black and white movie uh, made on the cheap. So that was film noir. I need you, that, that, perfect, that was wonderful. I need you to properly introduce yourself, too, before we get too involved in our discussion. Okay, so I am a, I'm a poet in Los Angeles. I'm a teacher of poetry. I also have a, a somewhat of a historical legacy in Los Angeles because my grandfather was Charles Fletcher Lummis, which I notice gives me a little bit of prestige down here in Southern California that I never had up in San Francisco or up in the Sierra Nevada mountains where I grew up. Nobody had heard of him up there, but all the history buffs down here know who he is. Perfect. Okay. So thank you. Thank you for getting that out of the way. We're going to talk about, uh, you're going to help us put on a salon in April. For Nash, as part of National Poetry Month about Poem Noir. So do you want to do two things? Do you want to talk about Poem Noir, you having, you having set up Film Noir very well? Do you want to tell us about Poem Noir and also, in general, your excitement about National Poetry Month, which is April? Well, National Poetry Month has been around for, it seems like, a couple of decades now. I believe that it was created, uh, the brainstorm of the Poetry Society of America, as a way to get people thinking about poetry, reading poetry, bring a little bit of poetry into people's lives, and just give it a boost in terms of public relations and so on. And so uh, uh, often uh, poets who do things other times of the year do something special on April National Poetry Month. And somebody out there may have guessed why we have National Poetry Month in April. Richard, I wonder, have you guessed why? Have you thought about why April? Any idea? I mean, now, don't feel bad if you, because it's a little bit, uh, it's a sort of obscure, the reason. But think about how, think about T.S. Eliot and what T.S. Eliot might have said about April. Well, I'll tell you. He said, April is the cruelest yes. month. April is the yeah. cruelest month. So the Poetry Society of America, and I hope I have the right, there are several powerful organizations, I think they're the, they are the ones uh, behind this. They said, okay, good, let's go with the cruelest month, all right? <laughs> and uh, so if you haven't done anything in poetry for the rest of the year, get out there in April and, and uh, participate in some of the goings-on. Uh, do you want me to now address the idea of the poem noir? Yes. All right, well... 
There are only a few people scattered around the country who really are particularly fascinated in the idea of taking the sensibility and the visual power and some of the themes and the snappiness of the dialogue and a sort of attitude, a sort of crisp, unself-pitying, um, slightly skeptical attitude towards the world and civilization. And, but also there's humor often with that. And taking those qualities, those sensibilities, and seeing what that looks like when it's expressed in contemporary poetry. And I'm one of those people. And it usually, it's actually a very good exploration for poets who, especially poets who have any problem with sentimentality at all, which of course is death to contemporary poetry. It's one of the worst things you can be. Um, but in the noir style, the noir mood, uh, the noir language, there can be no room for sentimentality. So it strips it just all out of there. And uh, also it brings up other aspects of the poet and a different kind of voice. And I've had people, I've had very advanced students who then write some of the best works they've ever written. And then I have some people who are in sort of a middling place who all of a sudden start writing better than they ever were with more force, more power, and more wit. It's really interesting to see the effect that it has on poets. Perfect. That was fantastic. I'm so glad. You, um, before we got started, you found a passage from Raymond Chandler. Oh, yeah. Why don't you, uh, why don't, I, I, I think that that would be just a, a great way to right. kind of, kind of bring this on home. So may I, may I properly introduce this? This is, uh, chapter 30, this is from chapter 33 from Farewell, My Lovely. Uh, Philip Marlowe is on his way out to the boats, down down to the ships, as Ezra Pound said, right? Yeah. So why don't you take it away as Philip Marlowe drives out to the gambling ship? Uh, and, and I will just introduce this a little bit. Uh, he has hired a water taxi to take him out to the illegal, the gambling ships that would not be legal if they were closer than two miles off the shore. Uh, he is looking for a man named Brunette. And I love this particular passage because there's a way that this hard-boiled private eye detective mocks himself, makes fun of himself, um, and I just find that so fresh and funny. So he starts out saying something that really shakes up the water taxi guy because this is a tough guy. And back then men did not admit they were scared ever. They didn't cry either, by the way. But they certainly, if they don't admit they're scared if they're a private detective. So Marlowe says, I'm scared, I'm scared stiff. And the, the water taxi guy says, what? I mean, he turns it to him and goes, what? I mean, he's utterly shocked and unnerved by this. And uh, Philip Marlowe follows with this. I'm afraid of death and dying of dark water and drowned men's faces and skulls with empty eye sockets. I'm afraid of dying, of being nothing, of not finding a man named Burnett. <laughs> and then the water taxi guy, he just laughs and he says, oh, you really had me going for a minute. Boy, you sure do give yourself a pep talk. So, so he just turned, and I feel that Raymond Chandler created a character in Marlowe who, in fact, Marlowe did feel some fear. He felt mortal fear. He might not come 
back out of this gambling ship alive. He was going after hoodlums, you know. Uh, and yet, his way of expressing that is to first say that and then turn it into this sort of outrageous, uh, sort of gorgeous poetry and finish it off by saying, and I'm mostly afraid of, that I won't be able to find this hood named Burnett. And then the guy realizes he's sort of half joking. And I just like the way it turns back on itself and the, the imagery in there. And the, it's an attitude towards dying. In fact, it's an attitude towards danger that exists all the way through the Raymond Chandler novels, a way that it's admitted and at the same time slightly mocked. And there's a, the, the humor, I think, is the survival mechanism that keeps this character, Philip Marlowe, alive and able to endure what he has to do. That was beautiful. That was fantastic. Thank you. You did it. Um, the salon is coming up in April, at the end of April. It's going to be a whole hour on Palm Noir, so everything you've just explicated, Dale Raoul and Cece Pierce. Cece Perry, thank you. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do a, a noir interview with her in Fullerton soon. So I just, I get, we're, we're going to, I know we're going to wrap this up. Do you want to thank everyone and perhaps leave us with a, a noir thought to meditate on as, as we approach April, the cruelest of months? Uh, okay, a noir, the cruelest of months. Okay, first of all, do come to the noir salon, uh, which, and did you give everybody the right date in April? Do they know where to find the information? Yes, yes. They do know where to find the information. Well, I think that the, my noir thought is that even though April is the cruelest month, there is all, there could be great beauty in cruelty and vice versa. So and then so find the find the beauty within the cruelty. I think that's uh, the fourth paragraph in Charles Baudelaire's second preface to Flowers of Evil. So I, th I think you did it. Thank you, Suzanne. Okay. All right. Thank you, everyone. My name is Emma Roberts. I'm in the rare books room at Central Library, and you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. <laughs> Ranger Jean, we're here. We're here at the Antelope Valley, California Poppy Reserve, and I want you to properly introduce yourself and tell us about this beautiful field of poppies in this former, on the side of this former turkey ranch. Well, thank you, Richard. It's good to have you here. Um, I'm here at the Antelope Valley, California Poppy Reserve because this is our peak poppy bloom, and we're having a great unexpected bloom this year. So we are definitely encouraging everybody to come out see all the poppies because they are very happy this year. Perfect. You need to tell us your full name and your title so people know that you know what you're talking about. My name is Jean Ryan. I'm an interpreter here at California State Parks at the Antelope Valley California Poppy Reserve. Yeah, let me say that again. Yeah. You're fine. You're fine. We're just going to move forward. Okay. So, Jean, deep breath. This is great. So, this is, uh, this is, this is now part of the state park system. We're standing in front of this, this carpet of orange used to be a turkey ranch. Now it's a poppy reserve. People are at home. They're in their cars. They're waiting in line at the bank. They're listening to this podcast. They're itching to get out, let their hair down, roll down the windows, get on the road. Why, where, how about this place and people coming here? 
because this situation is never predictable. There are years when we're expecting a big poppy bloom and then the poppies are finicky and they decide they're not coming out. There's years we do not expect any poppy bloom like this year and then we get this last minute rain and all of a sudden they're everywhere. It's, it's temporary. It's usually only for a couple months, peaking in mid-April. So I definitely encourage people to come out now because it might get a little bit better next week, but um, we could have a heat wave or a freeze or something come in and it could start declining fast. We never know. Okay. All right. I'm going to give this a timestamp. It's, it's April 7. We're going to air this on April 14. So when people hear this, they need to move. They need to make their decisions. They need to get in their cars. Yes. All right. So when they get in their cars... They're going to get here. Tell them what you can expect. There's, there's, there's a parking lot. There's an interpretive center. There are trails. Just give us a little parking. Just, just, just you know, because people want to, want to know. So they hit the ground running. Well, first of all, during the poppy season only, we have a visitor center that's open and staffed by volunteers who are very knowledgeable about the local area, the history, um, the flowers that you can find out here on the trail, the wildlife. And um, uh, where was I going to go with that? <laughs> okay, wait. Take a breath. Okay. Take a breath. I was just like going on like uh, my the the message that I leave on the voicemail. Um, <laughs> what was the next paragraph? No. Okay. Visitors will also find that we have um, volunteers who can give guided tours. We have a handicap accessible trail that is lined with poppies so anybody can come and see the, the poppies. There's also a lot of other flowers creating a mosaic of colors. We have um, purple lupin blooming. We have the um, Lacey Facilia up on Catanamic Vista Point. We have the, um, the white, the cream cups. We have all sorts of different colors. So it's not just orange poppies. If you really look, there's actually a lot of different things that you can see here at the reserve. All right. So let's, let's, let's just jump into the deep end. You've gotten here. You've got your water, water bottle. You're hydrated. You've got your sunscreen on. You've got your, you've got your towel in your bag. You're ready to exert yourself a little bit. Tell us your favorite hike here for people that are not afraid to just, to just get, get over the hump and just, just get into some, into some carpets of orange. Well, there's a couple really great hikes here. There's actually eight miles of hiking trails. We don't allow bikes or dogs on the trails, so it's just hikers. If you want to see the best poppies, they're actually on the North Poppy Loop Trail. We've got carpets of orange out there. If you want a challenging hike, you can go east on the trails out to the Antelope Vista Butte. It's a very... Um, it's a moderate hike until the end where it gets actually pretty challenging, but there's a fantastic view out there and not very many people go out there. So it's really good for people who want to get away and work those muscles. Okay, good. All right, we're going to do two more things. First of all, you're going to tell us we're standing in front of the visitor center. We're on this vista. We're overlooking what was once the turkey ranch. I want you to tell us, I want you to identify as many flowers as you can for me in, in immediately around us. I see. And and and, sh and shrubs, so plants. We're gonna do we're gonna do plant identification because you're very good at this. Okay, where I'm standing, I've got the California poppies in front of me. I also see a bunch of fiddle net growing. 
Um, further ahead, there is the rubber rabbit brush, which blooms in the fall. So you can also come out here in fall and see other plants blooming. What, what color is the rubber rabbit brush bloom? It gets yellow flowers on it. And then if you go over the North Poppy Loop Trail and drop down to where there is a seasonal spring, we have sunflowers that also bloom in the fall. Wow. Yeah. And, and there's, there's, a, there's, there's a large plant behind you. I was going to call it a tree, but I know it's not a tree. You're right, Richard. That is a Joshua tree, even though it's actually in the agave family, formerly lily family. And we have a couple of those here, and that's what used to cover the whole Antelope Valley before um, it was covered where, for agriculture and um, industrial uses. Okay, good. All right, you're going to bring us home. We're going to step back just a little bit. I want you to tell us a little bit about what, how, how the state park system got all these little pockets in this valley. Just a rough overview, because this wasn't always California state parkland. It was farmland and, and, and just un undeveloped. That's right. In the 1970s, a study was done, and they found that the most consistent poppy berry lands in California was at the western end of the Antelope Valley. So a woman by the name of Jane S. Pinero, who was just the wife of a blue-collar dairyman, um, she really fell in love with the desert as she was learning to water watercolor paint. And she started to realize that a lot of these areas covered with wildflowers were disappearing. So she did not take no for an answer. And she was going to Sacramento over and over on a shoestring budget, lobbying until she finally got the Antelope Valley California Popper Reserve created, as well as Saddleback Butte created. There's also eight wildflower and wildlife sanctuaries throughout the valley that are um, county managed. Um, she also started up the AV Fair, the local hospital, the list goes on of what Jane S. Pinero did. And now our visitor center is named after her, and we also house a, a gallery of 125 of her paintings. So you can come and see them, and we change them out every year. That's fantastic. You did it. Okay. We're going to sign off, and you're just going to remind people to, to get up here, because by the time they hear this, the clock has been ticking for a couple minutes at this point. This is fleeting. We can never really know exactly how long it's going to last. And I can tell you the last two years have been terrible. The years before that were fantastic. This year, it looks great. It's definitely better than the last two years, and we never know what's going to happen in the future. You heard it. Take the afternoon off. Get in the car. Get up here. Gina, I want to thank you. You're welcome, Richard. Thanks for coming. Oh, wait. Before I forget, there's one other flower I wanted to tell you about. We have a little tiny yellow flower called Goldfields. Some years they cover the hills with yellow, but then you see it up close and you realize it's such a small flower. So the lesson I let get from the gold fields is that if you think you're too small to do anything significant, just get a bunch of your friends together and you can, you can paint entire hillsides yellow with color. So that's the lesson that I get from that little tiny gold field. That's wonderful. That's a great lesson for all nature lovers and activists, which this this end of the valley needs. So, Gene, I want to thank you again. Thank you for having me. My name is Craig Berry. I'm in Venice, California, and you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. And we're done. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of April 14th. 2014. Our guests this week were poet Suzanne Lummis. She talked to us about poem noir. Our other guest was Ranger Jean Ryan. She's an interpreter in the Mojave, in the Mojave sector 
in the California State Park System. We talked to her about the poppies, the poppies in the Antelope Valley Poppy Reserve. As of the publication of this podcast, the date just given, you have two weeks to get to the poppy fields out in Lancaster, or it's too late. Okay, clock is ticking. Kim, feedback. Feedback from people that listen to our podcast and want to let us know how much they love it. How do they do that? Hopefully they're loving it. Um, you know, there's a few ways you can give us feedback. Probably the simplest is to simply join us on an esoteric bus adventure because we're always there and, and it's fun to talk to podcast listeners. You can also find us at the Lava Sunday Salon or at the Crime Lab events. You could, for instance, send an email to you can't eat the sunshine at gmail.com or through the contact link at esoteric.com. Or if you like to just keep your distance, you can go to the iTunes store, the page where you can download this free podcast and you can review the show. Give us some stars, say a thing or two, and uh, help us find more listeners. We appreciate you letting us know what you think. All right, Kim, we're going to take this home. We've got six bus tours to talk about. I'm going to take the first three. You're going to take the last three, okay? Yes, yes. yes. Okay. We're off the bus this coming weekend. We're going to go sit in a dark place somewhere in our house and be quiet. But next weekend... The 26th, we're back on the bus. Next weekend is actually a big weekend. It's Noir Weekend because Suzanne Lummis is going to be part of our salon on the 27th about Poe Noir. On the 26th is my Jamie Kane bus tour, Birth of Noir. This is a bus tour about the novelist James M. Kane, Double Indemnity's novel, Postman Always Rings Twice, his novel, Mildred Pierce, his novel, and how the novelist Raymond Chandler, as a screenwriter, adapting the Kane novel, Double Indemnity, invented the genre of film noir. Get on the bus. It's lots of fun. We also go to the King Eddie Saloon at the end of the tour. The next weekend, Saturday, May 3rd, Blood and Dumplings. This is a crime tour of San Gabriel Valley that includes a dumpling stop in Lugo Park surrounded by ferro-concrete sea monsters. Men from Mars, killer roommates... Voyance and James Elroy. These are all things talked about on the tour. It's a great tour. Get on the bus. The Saturday next. No. Two Saturdays next. We're back on the bus. May 17. It is my Raymond Chandler bus tour. This is a bus tour that includes ruminations by my wife about the writing of her novel about a young Raymond Chandler and his, perhaps the perhaps real-life investigation of the cult of the Great Eleven. It is a bus tour about a lot more than putative notions around Raymond Chandler, his nervous breakdown at the end of his life, his beginnings as a novelist, and, and in between life as a screenwriter at Paramount Pictures. It's all there, and we go to the Oviat, which is the opening sequence of the novel Lady in the Lake. So get on the bus. It's a lot of fun. Kim, bring us home. I am so happy to bring us home with uh, the tours of May and June, end of May, May 31st, Eastside Babylon, my most unhinged crime bus tour, some of the darkest, most violent psychological crimes of passion and infamy in East L.A. Some really weird stuff. The Radio Shop Murders may be the darkest story I've ever uncovered. Um, We've got a little bit of 
serial killer lore with Night Stalker Richard Ramirez, who has died since we started giving this tour. We've got a nice little visit to Evergreen Cemetery to see the Carnies. It's a lot of fun. June 7th sees us doing our downtown double feature, Hotel Horrors and Main Street Vice. If you are interested in early L.A. history, you have to look downtown. And although there's a lot of development and change happening down there, there are a few incredible time capsules that we will take you into and tell you some of the terrible, weird things that happened there. It's a fun tour. And uh, then the following Saturday, June 14th, we'll be up in Pasadena, the crown city with Crimebo the Clown. It is our only crime bus tour, which includes a crime clown riding shotgun. And we talk about typical Pasadenans, rocket scientists who happen to practice black magic and engage in... uh, Mystic Sexual Congress on the side, incredibly wealthy people who maintain uh, small zoos in the Arroyo. Trouble, 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 and some beautiful, beautiful locations. So that brings us up to the middle of June, and we'd love to see you on the bus. All right, Kim. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, listeners out there, for listening. I want to encourage you to stay tuned, and I want to remind you, you can't eat the sunshine. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skin Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long lost neighborhood called Hermina between 